you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to continue through Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. As Paul has been working 15 hours a day, six days a week, for two plus years, in order to crack the, the impossible cultish culture that is Ephesus with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pick up in verse 11. So I'm going to throw in some context with verse 11. So after around two years of working hard, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were being carried from his body to the sick and the diseased uh, left them and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I enjoy you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this, and an evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I respect, Jesus I recognize, and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was in leaped on them and subdued them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to everyone. I bet it did. I bet it did. Both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus and fear fell upon them all in the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. And many also of those who had placed their faith in Jesus Christ who believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of all of that paraphernalia and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver worth. One piece of silver was a day's wage. 50,000. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Let's ask God's blessing. We'll walk through this. Gracious Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. Father, your grace is greater than any of our sin. That your love and your mercy and your shed blood on the cross of Calvary that purchased our forgiveness is greater than all of our sin that we have committed, are committing, and will ever commit. And we rejoice in that. But Lord, you're, just because your grace is greater does not mean I get to keep my sin. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work mightily in this room as it has in my heart this week. Father, as I hemorrhage my own forgiveness or my own repentance, I pray that my church family would be touched by your spirit as well. Forgive us for abusing your grace. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit and we ask that he be our teacher. Help me to remember what I studied. Clear up my tongue. And I pray that as this message goes on, less of me would be seen and more of you 
And I pray this in your son's precious and holy name. And if you're a sinner this morning, say amen. amen. All right. Well, I'm glad because I know you are. All right. No, and so am I. Context is king. Context is king. Without context, one cannot know the message that is being talked about. For example, if I told you there was a newspaper headline that read the following here, a large animal shoots Hunter in the face with his own gun, we would look at that and go, wow, what tragic thing happened there. But what if I told you that Hunter was Elmer Fudd and it was a Looney Tune commercial? We've gone a long way from our original standing understanding, have we not? The headline, because of more context, we have gone from a rare, heartbreaking incident where we were all starting GoFundMe pages for this poor person to a commonplace cartoon that reminds us of Saturday mornings when there was no stress while eating Captain Crunch cereal with Crunch Berries. Amen? Those were the days. How many here notice the older you get, Captain Crunch just turns into a bowl of glass? Anyone at all? And shreds your mouth. Anyone? I've read. I had Crunch Berries last night. It was a mistake. Well, this makes sense, does it not? Yet, do you know how many times we approach the Word of God with no interest to context? No interest to context. Perfectly satisfied with reading the headlines within the word of God. Large animal manages to shoot the hunter in the face. And then asking ourselves, what does this mean to me? Can I just answer that? Who cares? Who cares? If God's message can be reduced to what does this mean to me, then really it has no message at all. My friends, the question that releases the power of God's word is not how does this and what does this mean to me. The question that releases the power of God's word is what does this tell me about God? And then apply that to our lives. So this passage is so dense in its context that we have to jump right into it. And when we are done, we will, we will see what God has revealed about himself and then what we need to do with that information. So if you're ready to dig deep and achieve another degree of nerdity then, and seek this out and live it in our lives, say amen. So here we go. Context is everything. Allow me to summarize last week's message in just a short period of time. Ephesus is absolutely saturated with the occult. The temple of Artemis is there. The city is full of spiritualists, magicians, exorcists, demon possessions, occultists, and spell casters. This is Harry Potter's dream home, all right? But worse. So how in the world do you stand out bringing a spiritual message of salvation in a city that is filled with things like this? How do you make inroads into a city where you're just another practitioner of the supernatural, if you will? Well, many in this city made a living from, from their ministry or practicing the occult arts. So Paul went out of his way to separate himself from everyone else. And rather than living off other people, Paul has been working hard. 
He's been working for 15 hours a day for two years, making inroads into one of the most difficult cities in the world. Now, please note that these miracles followed a lot of sweat equity. They followed a lot of hard work in this city. And the Lord was honoring that with, with, for him. So with that in mind, we need to remember that there were long periods of work that went before this. So here's a quick little application we'll get right off the bat. In our day of me-first hedonism, by, by hedonism I mean pleasure first, anything that brings me pleasure and comfort and leisure, in our day of me-first leisure hedonism, we need more Christians like Paul, people who are willing to put in the hard work, Christians who are willing to go beyond comfort and ease and our God of our age, convenience. By the way, how you doing on that? How am I doing on that? Now, he worked from 7 in the morning till 11 a.m. Then he rented a lecture hall from, from a guy whose nickname was Tyrant. And he preached from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. for five hours. At 4 p.m. he went back to work and he worked from 4 p.m. till 9.30. All of this is in last week's study. He worked so hard. He worked so hard that people were taking handkerchiefs and aprons from him. You see that in the purple. They're taking handkerchiefs and aprons from him. The word handkerchiefs here today is from, in our vernacular today, is the word sweatbands. This is what he would constantly wipe his brow with and, and wear on his head because he was a tent maker and it was hard work because he always worked with leather. Aprons is what he would have worn as he worked with sharp tools and leather as he was a tent maker. So here's what I need you to see. His sweatbands were, were soaked with sweat and his aprons are full of blood, sweat, and grime and everything else. Now, I want you to hold on to that imagery, all right? You have an apron that has a day's work all over it as he works with sharp tools and sweatbands full of sweat. We have to remind ourselves, what city are we in? We are in a city, and if you know the answer, answer it here. We are in a city that is full of what kind of worship? Anyone? Occult. Satanic. Occult worship. It's important to understand that Ephesus believed that healing power could be transferred through inanimate objects of other powerful people. If I could illustrate this, if, if, if we believe that here and you saw one of my shoes was off, you would run over and you'd grab one of my shoes and you'd bring it to your sick or, 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 or hurt or demon-possessed person and, and they believe that that could deliver someone through that object. We see trace of the, traces of this baked into the Word of God in Matthew chapter 9 and Acts chapter 5. And the more the object contained um, DNA, if you will, the more that object contained the, of that person, the more powerful that object was, i.e. sweat in the band and, and the apron and everything else. The more powerful the object, the more powerful the healing would be. Now let me ask the following question here. What is Paul's handkerchief full of? Talk to me, church. Sweat. It's a sweat band. And his apron, it's full of sweat. Maybe some blood, everything. Maybe some of his lunch. I don't know. But it's full of Paul. Now, please know that Paul is not hawking these things. He is not selling these things for more money and more attention. 
these things were being taken from him. They were being stolen from him. They were being borrowed, if you will, from him. We see that in the text where it says they even carried it away from his body in the workplace. Can you see Paul coming home? coming back into the workshop. How many here have ever said these kind of words, all right? Paul's coming into the workshop and he's saying, where's my apron? I know I put it right here. Where's my apron? And for the life of me, I can't keep a sweatband. Now, how many here, maybe it's not aprons or sweatbands, how many here lose things all the time? Amen? True story. One time I was spiritually barking at Amy and I said, Stop taking my socks. I'm not done with them yet. And the sock was right here on my shoulder. It stuck. And I had been going all over the house looking for my socks. And I walked up to Amy. I said, stop taking my socks. And she just took a picture of me. I said, what are you doing? She showed me the picture. And I said, you are in rebellion, woman. All right, now. I'm joking. She was in rebellion, though. No. That wasn't in my notes. And now I don't know where I'm at. Can you see, Paul, where's my sweatbands? Where's my aprons? But the interesting thing here is we see it's working. It's working. Look at here. It says here, the disease left them and the evil spirits went out. There it is in the orange. Now, this is a pagan belief. This is a cultish practice, yet it's working, which I don't know about you, but as I read this, the big question that comes out of the text here is why? Why would God work in a way that is consistent with their pagan beliefs and practices in the occult. Why did God do this? Remember when I said the question that unlocks scripture is not, what does this mean to me? The question is, what does this reveal about God? Well, let me tell you what this reveals about God. God is working this way, all right? God working this way reveals to us his impossible grace. In fact, Ken Hughes says this, God's grace met these people on their own level with bona fide miracles that accommodated himself to their uninstructed faith. He met them where they were at. This is not about magic handkerchiefs. This text is not about magic handkerchiefs. It is about the magnitude of God's grace. And we're going to unpack that more in the evening tonight. And I invite you to come back as we dig deeper on this. Paul is not hawking these items. God has decided in his grace to use a pagan understanding as a bridge to draw near those in the city to discover what Paul is proclaiming every day in a lecture hall that he rented from a man whose nickname is Tyrant. That's what's going on here. Oh, my friends, do we not serve a gracious God who meets us where we are at and he draws us to himself? No one comes to the Father unless he is first drawn by the Father. Here we have that unpacked in this text. He's drawing people to him in a, in a marvelous and gracious way. Oh, the marvelous grace of our loving God. Amen? That he would, he would reach them where they are at. Oh, that we would mimic his ways within the church of Jesus Christ. For too long, us polished, pristine Christians uh, demand that the lost come to us. But rather, we, mimicking our gracious Lord, should go to the lost and meet them where they are at. And by the way, this is by no means a normal thing happening here. 
Even the author, Luke, goes out of his way to say, this was extraordinary what was going on. Let's hit that button. Extraordinary what's going on. It was out of the norm. We'll unpack that this evening as well. This is not God's normative outworking here. Paul's not using these things as marketing strategies. All Paul knows, and I'm being a little facetious here, but all Paul knows is that he has less and less sweatbands and more and more people showing up at the lecture hall. Paul's extraordinary teaching, coupled with his hard work, with God's unusual miracles, not only draws people in, but it will distinguish Paul from the rest of the city. How does he distinguish himself? It's happening right now. Because of God's grace, his hard work, and these extraordinary measures going on. And by the way, it attracted some some negative people as well. Look at here, it says some Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. These people are what we would call syncretists today. Now that might be a new word for you, and I don't say that arrogantly because it was a new word for me this week, all right? I'm just sharing with you what I've learned. Now syncretists would borrow terms, they would borrow names, they would borrow anything that was available in order to promote and increase their trade. How many are thankful here our politicians don't do that at all? Anyone at all? They treated everything like a buffet. Everything like a buffet. Since extraordinary things are being done in the name of Jesus and through and by Paul, since extraordinary things are being done by the name of Jesus, they just kind of buffeted that name. They, they took that name of Jesus and Paul, almost like a a magic spell, if you will. In fact, you see it right here. I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. These people believe that if there was a powerful name, you could just take that name and use it on a less powerful name and it would have authority over them. If Jesus is more powerful, and it certainly appears that he is for crying out loud, sweatbands are delivering people then let's use it to expel and promote our trade as exorcists. Now it gets a little funny from here. I like this. The other day, how many here, if this annoys you, it's not in my text or my notes, but it'll introduce what, what irritates me, which is the primary meaning of this text, all right? How many here have ever looked in your rear view mirror and there's a police officer behind you? Anyone at all? And it's an unmarked police officer, worst kind. Is Pete here? Pete, where are you? You're an officer. Do you have an unmarked car, Pete? Oh, okay. (laughs) And you look behind you and there's that that police car and you see that big grill in the back that can bump you if they need to and the the lights on the side and and you you can swear there's a very low uh, flashing thing on top and you're like oh no what did I do you know and you're watching me and then you you let them go by and it's not a police officer at all it's just a wannabe anyone at all (laughs) it's like man do they have issues I assume and I think I'm correct now They want to elevate their worth. They want to advertise what they are not. That's what we're going to see here, all right? The seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing these things. They were borrowing the name of Jesus. By the way, there is no record of a Siva in the exhaustive list of Jewish high priests. We find this within the author Jeremiah here, all right? 
There is exhaustive lists within Judaism of who the chief or high priests were. And there is no Shiva in that list. Well, that's going to be a little bit odd. All right? Most scholars believe that, they, that due to the context, we have syncretists, we have opportunists, we have people promoting their trade. That we are dealing with an occult opportunists who buffeted the name of Jesus to their own means. That these men just made false claims about their worth. They made false claims about their worth and appropriated this title, which is not in the list of chief priests or high priests. They appropriated this title in in order to impress someone. How many here has ever seen someone wearing military fatigues and they've never served their country? Anyone at all? There's a purpose. They want to elevate their worth. This is still done in churches today. Did you know that I could get my doctorate degree right now from a hyper-fundamental southern Bible school for just $1,200 if I sent them my doctrinal statement, which is already done for the last 20 years and is collecting dust in my drawer? If I just sent that in with $1,200, I could get my doctorate. And I could hear it now. The humble and honorable Reverend Dr. Brett A. Boomsma, H-S-B-A-M-A-R-E-V-D-R. And people would know my heart. We could put that out on the sign out there. For God's glory. Did you know you can get ordained for $19.99 on the internet? You can get the title reverend for less than 20 bucks. It's actually gone down, which is a little insulting, all right? I know people have purchased their, their, their reverend on the internet for under $20. I spent eight years in college and graduate schools, had to sit in front of 40 pastors at an ordination council who peppered me with questions that the angels in heaven don't know. And then when I, <laughs> I, oh, I should tell you one question I got. I don't have time. All right. But it was, it was ridiculous. All right. And I looked at him. I said, you tell me, old man. All right. And I said that respectively. All right. No, I'm just doing And when I got done with all those questions, they took an offering in order for me to buy books for my library. And I took that money and I bought a gun. It's a true story. It's in my drawer. So don't tick me off. All right. No, I'm just... They're elevating their worth. They're, elev- they're borrowing the name of Jesus. They're, 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 they're getting in their fake cop car. They're, they're wearing their military fatigues and they, they don't own a super soaker. And they got their ordination on and all that stuff. So here you have the occult opportunists inflating their worth using the name of Jesus as they try to expel a demon. And the demon speaks to them and he says, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul. Who are you? And the demon. I don't know about you, but this would be an absolutely terrifying moment for me. How many here would have just poopied your pants? Anyone at all? Right here. I know some of you are going, he said poopy. (laughs) Never mind that a demon is speaking out of a person. Oh, that's fine. I'm afraid of the dark. I like lights on in the house. I I can't imagine this going on in my life. I like what one pastor said in my studies this week. He said this. They thought they could just add the name of Jesus with their military fatigues on and their fake cop car. I added that part. The, the, The 
theologian did not say that, all right? They thought they could just add the name of Jesus to their tool belt like Batman. Again, that's not what he said. I added that in. But they, they found out that it was kind of like using a hand grenade without knowing how the hand grenade works. Can you see the face of these pretenders? Maybe if they just said the name of Jesus louder, it would work. And it says here, the demons leaped on them and they beat them and subdued them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house stark naked and wounded. My friend, the power of God cannot be controlled by man. God is not our lackey. And anyone who calls on his name should do so in humble fear. Here's a question. And and it's about the text. In Ephesus now, with these men running through the streets naked, can't even use the name of Jesus as Paul's handkerchiefs have more power than all of that. Who stands out now? What is it, church? Paul. Paul stands out. Paul's little handkerchiefs that keep losing in the workshop and healing the sick and the oppressed. These men are naked and beaten. Grab this. Paul's handkerchiefs have more power than these men Now only Paul is left. Here it is. The bridge that our Heavenly Father is building and the magnitude of His grace. And it says this. And this became known to all. I bet it did. I bet it did. To both Jews and Greeks, naked people running through the streets will draw the eye of anyone who lived in, let's remember the context, a cult, Ephesus. And fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Not Paul. Paul didn't have his name on the marquee. Ministry of Paul. The name of Jesus is magnified. My friends, it is the fear of God that is the beginning of wisdom. In a moment, we're going to talk about something that every single one of you are struggling with. Including me including me. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Can I tell you what the maturity is? The love of God. To love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul. With that in mind, look at what happens next. Those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. Notice that. They were disclosing their practices. The word practice here points to the the sin of occult practices, the culture of Ephesus. But it is a reference to sin in general. Notice the words confessing and disclosing. They show true repentance by turning from, from sin on their own, on their own terms. They, they, they disclose it. They come out. They, they confess the sin on their own. They are not caught with their sin and then say sorry. They are sorry for their sin and they willingly give it up. The grace of God is greater than all of our sins, but that does not give us a license to store it in the closet. My friends, repentance is more than just saying sorry when you're caught. True repentance turns away from sin, not because it is discovered, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit and our love for God. Here's a quick question. Do you and I, do we hate our sin? Do we hate the sin that no one even knows about? 
Or do we hide it ready to apologize if we get caught? My friends, to apologize when you get caught, that is not repentance. That's crisis management. And there is a world of difference between that. My friends, I'm going to make a bold observation here. This passage is not about miraculous handkerchiefs and aprons. Rather, it is about the magnificent grace of our Lord that leads to repentance. And it is happening all over. These believers who practiced magic brought their books out and they disclosed them. They publicly expressed their total faith in Christ by ridding themselves of what they once put their faith in. Hence the words, they began burning them in the sight of everyone. Here's the thing. When the Holy Spirit enters into our lives, we become sensitive to our sin. We become sensitized to to seeing what God hates I must get rid of and what he loves I must chase. They understood that genuine discipleship and repentance required letting go of what we once treasured before Christ in order to attain that, that treasure that is Jesus Christ. And notice how they let it go. Notice how they got rid of it. They didn't keep one foot in and one foot out. My friends, do you keep one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot out of the kingdom of God trying to keep the best of both worlds, which in reality just offers neither? That's not discipleship. And I'm just going to say it. It's not Christianity. I know Grand Rapids says it is, but they're lying. True Christianity picks up the cross and abandons everything for the treasure that is Jesus Christ. We must take the necessary steps so that we cannot go back to our sin that binds us again and again and again. We must make it hard to return to our sin as hard as it possibly can be. You see it in the words here. What do they do with the sin? They begin burning the sin. They begin burning the sin. And Wednesday night when we break this passage together, one sister in Christ showed me a quote that she was reading from a book and I want to share it with you. Here it is, if we can bring it up here. Go ahead and bring it up here. When we are told to walk in the light as he is in the light, It's not simply talking about living in moral purity, but rather in honesty with other Christians. Secret sins fester and grow, but if we bring them, see the context? If we bring those sins into the light of public repentance and visibility, it is then that those sins wither and die. Walking in the light, in other words, is living in honesty with God and others. And it is here that Luke gives us a glimpse of just how saturated the city is with the occult. It says here that they counted up the price of all of these books and all this paraphernalia and sin and found 50,000 pieces of silver so steeped in the occult that these, these people who believed, which is just a small portion of the body, burned nearly $5 million of today's worth to get rid of the sin. 
things that was secretly attached to their lives. Do you see how true faith treasures Christ over everything else? And look at what happened here. The word of the Lord was growing mightily and it was prevailing in this city. My friends, if we want to see growing, mighty, and prevailing power of God's word in our lives, it is accomplished through true repentance, not fake repentance. It is accomplished through true repentance, not crisis management. And look at what that mighty power did. When Jesus became Savior and Lord of our, their lives and our lives, the Holy Spirit takes up residency in our lives. We, we increasingly become sensitive not only to what God loves, but we become sensitive to the things that God hates. My friends, what sin in our lives today should we bring out of the shadows, not because we are caught, but because of our love for Christ grows to the point we can't tolerate them anymore? What areas of our lives should we stop trying to have one foot in and one foot out? My friends, we we cannot claim Jesus Christ in our lives and then purposely embrace habitually what he hates. We cannot call him Lord and care less with what he wants. Well, church, hear the word of the Lord and what God is revealing about himself in this text today. How high should the flames of repentance burn publicly in our lives if the Spirit of God truly swept through our church like it did here in Ephesus? How much pornography would spill into the light of day? How much anger and bitterness and unforgiveness would heat this fire? How much entertainment would we burn? How much apathy and rationalization would fuel its blaze? How much materialism and meism and lazyism would consume these flames? How many of us would fall on our knees and say, I have been loving what you hate, trusting what cannot save, keeping what is not mine, avoiding what you desire, prioritizing the empty, rationalizing the clear, and convincing myself that I am yours. Oh, my friends, do you see it now? This passage has nothing to do with magic, handkerchiefs, and aprons. It is about God's powerful and extraordinary grace that cuts through an impenetrable culture to bring his elect to repentance and it's doing the same thing now oh may God open our ears right now to hear biblical repentance is the need of the hour in the church today in fact, I would contend that there is more, that more of God's power is seen in the fires of public repentance than compared to any handkerchief that they ever took from the brow of Paul. For there is no more powerful miracle when a spiritually dead or apathetic person comes to life in Christ. My friends, the handkerchief was just the means. Repentance was the goal. And so it is today. 2,000 years later. God says, I see everything in your closet. I see it all. I see behind it and beneath it and around it and over it. Nothing is hidden from my sight. And because of my burning love for you, I am an all-consuming, jealous God. 
and through his grace and his kindness may not be in the form of a handkerchief today. I would contend it is found in something far more powerful. His completed, holy, inerrant word spoken to your heart through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Can you hear his voice from those pages on your lap right now? The omnipotent, holy, righteous creator of the universe who breathes out solar systems with his size, who holds the keys to heaven and hell, whispers in your heart right now, when will you be mine? Because here it is. If you experience the power of God in every imaginable, tangible way, and it does not lead to repentance, all you have seen is a light show that leads to damnation. My friends, what good is a magic handkerchief if it doesn't lead to repentance? So that is what we will do today. Because the question is not, what is this text saying to me? It is saying, what does this text say about God? And for those of you who are not believers in Christ Jesus this morning and you want to belong to Him, today pray and place your faith in the name of Jesus Christ and repent of your sin and receive His salvation and His full forgiveness and find life more abundant. There is no more abundant life than in Christ Jesus our Lord. If that's what you want this morning, I am going to invite you to meet me up front and say I want that. Publicly. Because that's what's happening in the text. And for those of you who do belong to Jesus, and that's most of you, but your closet is full of things he hates. And you can name them all right now. Place it today on the fire of true repentance. I invite you, if you are physically able, to walk down the aisle today and just spend time publicly repenting you may say I can do that from my seat yup how's that going how's secret repentance going for you it stinks for me secret repentance just makes it easier to live with what I should not You may be able to do it in your seat today, but isn't that just another way of hiding? These people burned it publicly so that they could never return to it. Let's repent publicly. Lay it before the Lord. And say, I want to hate what you hate and I want to love what you love. Because remember, we can't walk in the light if we keep everything in the dark. So this morning, this is old school.
you know, be the first. I'm just going to open this up. Luke and Christy are going to sing that song, I Lay My Sins on Jesus. I invite you to spend some time in repentance. You may say, Pastor, I, I can't walk, I can't kneel. Raise your hand and, and just identify repentance. But by God's name, let's purge our lives of it. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would would fill this room in a way where your light shines in every corner of every closet, of every basement, of every nook of our soul. And that we become sensitive to our sin and we bring it forward and we confess it and we rid our lives of it and we seek out accountability so that we never return to it. Father, I pray that every single person in this room, starting with me, Lord Jesus, starting with me, would love you more than our comfort, you more than our image, you more than our reputation, that we would desire to walk in the light far more than being comfortable in the dark. I pray this in your son's name. Father, I'm asking this in your son's name. Amen. Luke, if you need to repent this morning, let's not waste it. sins on Jesus the spotless Lamb of God He bears them all and frees us from the heavy load I bring my guilt to Jesus to wash my crimson stains right in His blood most precious tonight a spot remains Jesus, all fullness dwells in Him. He heals all my diseases. He doth my soul redeem. I lay my griefs on Jesus, my burdens and my cares. He from them all releases. He all my sorrow shares. I honest just recline. I 
Forgive us for thinking worship is the flow of a song or the power of the speaker. Forgive us for thinking worship is an event we attend rather than a life walking in the light. Oh, may this be precious in your sight, Lord. May you be pleased. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. May your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. You're dismissed.